Hello, and welcome back to the Past and Present Podcast. This is your host, Kim Groves, hoping you've been having a lovely week so far. Today, uh, we are going to be exploring, we're just going to do a, a, a one little discussion about the relationship between Phoenicia and Israel. So this is kind of where sort of biblical archaeology sort of diverges and we have to talk about other things because we do have a couple of references to the Phoenicians in uh, the Bible, but they did have an influence on um, Israel because they were they were within that region. So these were peoples that the Israelites did come into contact with at various points in their history, in both of their histories, I should say. So, um, I also hope you enjoyed our talk uh, on Monday uh, about on the Sermon on the Mount on charitable deeds. Uh, I know it's something I sometimes have to work on, my charitable giving, but I, um, I am working on it and it is something that I do uh, try to, to do regularly. So uh, to get started today, our talk today is called Phoenicia and its Special Relationship with Israel by Ephraim Stern, and it appeared in the November-December 2017 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. And so basically this, this article is, is giving us a little bit of background about who the Phoenicians were. They went by several different names and kind of like the rise and fall and how they influenced Israel. So they were actually the Phoenicians, that, that is, were the nearest people to the ancient Israelites in every respect. They spoke the same language, they wrote in the same type of script, e they even had a similar religion, or at least during the first temple period of the Israelites. So the Phoenicians and Israelites built Jerusalem together, as well as several other Israel, as, as well as, as several other cities, and they would go on joint trading expeditions. So Phoenician royal houses and Israel and Judah were all related by marriage. So the clearest sign of this close relationship between these two peoples had been the fact they never went to war with each other, in complete contrast to Israel's relationship with. All of their other neighbors um, so so again that that bodes the fact that this was probably a very um, uh, friendly relationship for all of them so who were the Phoenicians first of all they were the late Canaanites of the first millennium BCE from the Iron Age through the Roman period uh, so they were the late Canaanites of the first millennium descendants of the Canaanites of the second millennium BCE. So this is the Middle Bronze through Late Bronze. So in other words, the Phoenicians were basically Canaanites that were like the second generation. So after the first after the second millennium, there was the first millennium BCE. So the Canaanite or I'm sorry, the Phoenicians were these I'm going to call them second generation Canaanites. So so Phoenicians isn't even what they, they called themselves. They The name Phoenicians was given to them by the Greeks. Um, so, um, and they considered, the, the Phoenicians continued to refer to themselves as Canaanites or by the names of their principal cities. So during the second millennium BCE, they controlled Palestine, Transjordan, and Syria, 
um, and developed a rich culture. Around 1200 BCE, they were forced out of these countries by the Arameans, the Neo-Hittites, the Israelites, and the Sea Peoples, the Philistines, Sicilis, and Sheridan, etc. in the south, and by the Ammonites, Moabites, and Edomites in the east. Between 1200 and 1050 BCE, they retained control of a greatly reduced area, which is a narrow coastal strip of Lebanon between Arwad, uh, Tyre, and Akko. And most of the population lived in five main cities, Arwad, Budlos, Beritus, Sidon, and Tyre. So that's kind of like, they're kind of their rise. Now, from the end of the 11th century BCE onward, the Phoenicians began to expand once again from these centers, but this time to the west. First, so in other words, they set out on the water. Okay, so basically, you know, they hit the beach and they, they had nowhere to go. So they said, let's build a boat. Let's build a boat and see what goes ha what happens. So they ended up, they reached Cyprus, where they proceeded to the coasts of Sicily, Sardinia, and Malta. So all the islands there in the Mediterranean. They ended up to southern Spain and North Africa. So these Western settlers established a huge commercial empire that lasted about a thousand years. So the Phoenicians were proficient traders they were entrepreneurs they were they were kind of like where you went to get a lot of luxury goods so apart from relatively few references in the bible to the phoenicians and some ancient royal inscriptions our only information comes from greek sources which are exceptionally hostile uh to in tone since the greeks and the phoenicians competed for control of the mediterranean for more than half a millennia so the Phoenicians themselves left behind some written sources, but there were no really historical facts in these written sources. So basically what we have from the Phoenicians is a material culture. And sometimes, well, the material can sometimes give you as much information as having a whole book that you find. So um, the Phoenicians basically inherit this earlier rich Canaanite culture that had been developed during the entire second millennium BCE, in contrast to the other peoples who settled in the region and who in the beginning were just simple nomads. So the Phoenicians succeeded in creating this rich material culture of their own. And the major elements of this were their architectural style, were alternating courses of headers and stretchers, um, of, built of long, well-dressed blocks, con walls constructed of ashlar piers, with field stones in the faces, spaces between them, proto-aeolic capitals, Hathor capitals, and papyrus capitals, recessed openings, ornamented window balustrades, and ornamented orthostats. So we've heard some of these things before. The recessed doors that, that were common in Solomon's temple had some Phoenician roots. So Phoenician architecture was adopted and imitated by all the peoples of Palestine. Um, the Israelites, Judahites, Philistines, and all the peoples of the Eastern Jordan. So everybody, you know, kind of borrowed from the Phoenicians and sort of modified it and made it their own, adding some, you know, features for themselves to kind of taking the basic building blocks of Phoenician architecture and sort of, you know, modifying it to suit their own needs and their own style. 
So all of these uh, societies followed this style in the public buildings and palaces of their capitals and main towns until the Assyrian conquest at the end of the 8th century BCE. The Assyrian conquest of the Israelite monarchy brought an abrupt end to the Phoenician building style. Only in the actual Phoenicia, that is the narrow coastal strip from Lebanon to Western Galilee, the Carmel, and the Sharon down to Jaffa and Ashkelon, did this style continue uninterruptedly through the entire Assyrian and Persian periods and maybe into the early Hellenistic period, which is the Greek period. But again, you know, dating is sometimes a little interesting. So the, the number of excavated sanctuaries attributed to Phoenicians is very small, and most of them are dated to the Persian period rather than the earlier Iron Age, when the Phoenicians were at the peak of their entrepreneurial power. And only the sanctuaries discovered at Chiton on Cyprus are the best known. So in recent years, uh, a few small prayer chapels consisting of one relatively small room have been found. They follow a very old Canaanite pattern, um, one an example of which is in Hazor in Israel. There's, uh, like our long room temples, there is a usually a statue of the god or goddess or sometimes a line of stone stelae. And they were found in several Palestinian excavations like near Tel Dan. Uh, and many more chapels have been found in the Phoenician settlements along the coast as well as overseas. Overseas being like Cyprus, Malta, Sardinia, Sicily, that area, North Africa. So, which would make sense since this is where they basically settled. So, we learn about the cult practice in Phoenician sanctuaries through the biblical and Greek references, as well as Phoenician inscriptions, which has all been found in excavations. The longest one, which is an ostracon, which is a potsherd with writing, found at Akko, is an order issued by the city authorities to the Guild of Metal Workers to present a precious metal basin. So basically, it's just like, hey, uh, we need a metal basin for our temple. You're going to do it for us. And it's got to be precious metal. So none of that cheap stuff. Long lists of items, cult items, appear in Phoenician inscriptions from Kitan, Kitian, which mention metal objects, mostly of copper. Tariffs were found in Marseille, France, which Marseille is on the southern coast of um, Marseille is on the southern coast of France, which probably originated in one of the nearby Punic colonies. Um, which were and were intended for the temple of Baal Zephon, which include the prices of various animals brought there and resemble similar, similar biblical lists. Now, as far as statuary, only two major types of ceramic figurines appear in all Phoenician assemblages. An adult male represented as a king sitting on a throne or as a warrior on a horse and a fertility goddess, sometimes pregnant, um, and sometimes holding or nursing a child. And sometimes a child is depicted separately. Additionally, clay models of sanctuaries, usually depicting a one-room chapel, have been found in Phoenician settlements. Um, so besides the official religion, there existed a popular cult based on masks, pendants, vases, and figurines of the Egyptian god Bess, which were intended to ward off bad luck and disease. So, now during the Iron Age, Phoenicians would typically cremate their dead and place them, their ashes in clay urns, which were then burned. 
and, and above the urns they would place stone stelae that were inscribed with the names of the deceased. It's a figure kind of like a headstone, if you will. As well as the names of the deities um, to whom the dead were dedicated. These cemeteries, called by the biblical name of Tapet, have been uncovered in the Phoenician Western Punic colonies, such as at Carthage, which was in North Africa, and also in the heartland of Phoenicia, recently at Tyre. Uh, so later, Phoenicians actually buried their dead in rock-cut tombs of various types and even half-cut and half-built graves. Clay vessels and other personal belongings have been found buried with the deceased in tombs, much like Egyptians would do. Now, above everything, above all this stuff I've talked about, Phoenicians were re renowned as master craftsmen, and there was a market for their luxury goods across the ancient Mediterranean. From the 9th to the early 6th century BCE, the Phoenicians produced decorated objects like things associated with cosmetics, made of limestone, alabaster, shell, glass, fans, metals, and other materials. Um, Phoenician ivory carvings, which are the finest expression of the Phoenician school, have been found in many Palestinian sites. Now, although they did originate in Phoenicia, the local artisans in Palestine adopted and imitated these objects and produced them at the local centers of all the nations of the country. At the end of the 8th century BCE, but mainly in the 7th century under Assyrian domination, they begin um, to disappear from the entire eastern Mediterranean coastal region. So this could have been due to a lack of raw material, lack of availability of raw material. At that time, artisans, artisans began using cheaper materials like bone, stone, and alabaster. And so obviously you're changing your material, your quality is going to suffer, and there was an increased use in simple design because it just... You can't do a lot of complex things in something that's so hard and unyielding. So the most common Phoenician decorated objects of the period are the cosmetic palettes made of hard limestone in imitation of marble. Some were plain, but some of them were decorated with concentric circles with dots in their centers or with net designs in various shapes. Other common decorated objects include flat alabaster cosmetic palettes, which were used to mix paints or powders. Um, one end of the alabaster cosmetic palettes were usually engraved in the shape of a goddess's head. Similar, similarly, at the edge of each shell, a female human head was engraved. While the reverse depicts her garment and jewelry, the inside was left plain except for the decorated edges. So uh, the production of these objects, like other aspects of Phoenician culture, ceased at the end of the Iron Age. Among the later Phoenician projects, Products common to coastal sites were coins, like from Sidon and Sidon Tyre, while others having been struck in Dor, Samaria, Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Gaza. And the heartland of Phoenicia was subjugated in turn by the Assyrians, Babylonians, Persian, and Hellenistic empires, but their western colonies continued to enjoy autonomy until the second century BC. I'm sorry, second century BCE. So again, this this coastal strip that was still attached to roughly saying the mainland, were, were basically conquered and absorbed by these other empires. But their holdings in like Cyprus and Sardinia, uh, Sardinia, Malta, Sicily, North Africa, those areas still maintained their, their um, uh, autonomy. 
Uh, the Phoenicians' commercial empire was brought to an end by the Romans who came into conflict with, conflict with the Phoenicians, who they described as Punics, in a series of wars that became known as the Punic Wars. So the Carthaginians had no standing army, and they actually used mercenaries, and relied on their fleet for defense. The Punic Wars culminated in the Roman destruction of the Punic capital of Carthage in 146 BCE. This is a famously when the, the land was salted, and thereby ending a millennium of Phoenician influence, success, and power. So the Phoenicians encountered numerous groups throughout their existence. With some of the groups they competed and the others they warred. With most, almost all they traded, exporting their culture and their goods throughout the Mediterranean world. Yet their relationship with the Israelites was distinct from all the others. Um, it should not surprise us when the kingdom of Israel fell, the Phoenicians suffered too. The loss of their close neighbor and ally disrupted the growth and strength of the Phoenician Empire. Well, I think that is about all for today. It's a very short article. I just need to sign and know a little bit about the Phoenicians. I think it's interesting to kind of know about the other peoples that the Israelites interacted with. Um, again, today's article was called Phoenicia and its Special Relationship with Israel. And it appeared in the November-December 2017 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. If you'd like to read the whole article, you can find it at baslibrary.org. <clears throat> and uh, you, I, I would recommend signing up and getting the, 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 the access, full access pass because you can access all the old articles. It's, it's just a great, great resource. I do hope you will join us on Monday when we will be discussing what Jesus says about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. As always, I enjoy hearing from you. Please email me at kimg.pastandpresentpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on the Twitter machine at, at podcast underscore past and on Facebook at Rebirth Network and Rebirth Encouraged, both with a purple heart between the words. We also have a YouTube channel, which we have had for quite a while, but I thought I'd bring that into it. If you like the visual experience, and that is actually done by our uh, head uh, minister, David James, and he does amazing, amazing videos. He's been doing a lot of, with the beautiful weather, he's been going out in the country and actually preaching in God's country, um, down in a place called Watipquin. Um, or Nanticoke or Tyaskin, uh, very lots of different places down where he preaches, and, and he preaches near the water, and it's just beautiful country down there. And so he gives always gives a great, inspiring message. So I encourage you to check out our Rebirth uh, Network YouTube channel. It also has a purple heart in it. So you will know the Rebirth, if you're on our pages, you will know the Rebirth by its purple heart. That is our main color. So anytime you see that purple heart, just look for us. We are there. You will never see me on YouTube. I have a voice for radio, not for television. So I prefer to keep it uh, on the podcast. However, uh, Dave does not like to do podcasts. He prefers the visual presentation. So I leave that to him. So until Monday, when uh, I hope you will join me for our talk on prayer. This is Kim Groves with the Past and Present Podcast, hoping you stay blessed and unstressed and unbothered by the rest. Have a great weekend.